2: Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit mfm.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6,000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.
4: All right, we are back. Another film study with Ken McCusick. This week, we are looking forward to the Steeler rivalry this Sunday night, 8.20 p.m. Ken McKusick, how are you doing?
0: Life's good, Josh. How about you?
4: I am doing all right. I, this is always a fun week to get ready for uh, Steeler football, and lots, lots have been made about this rivalry over the years, and I hope it continues, even wh- though so many personnel has changed, and... Uh, the Steelers at least we're not they're not going to be winless I was hoping for a winless setup but they got their win on Monday night and we are joined by Alex Kozura and I probably said the name wrong so Alex how you doing
5: I'm good guys you got it right so that's maybe a first good job
4: (laughs) it might be a first time I got a guest named right I like the guys who are named like John Smith I can handle (laughs) those but Alex uh, writes for Steelers Depot. You can follow him on Twitter, Alex underscore Kazura, and he is going to be joining us to kind of get us ready for this uh, Steeler matchup Sunday night, as I said.
0: All right, so I'll be I'll be talking to Alex, and Alex is going to do most of the talking on this show. You know, you used to Josh and I do most of the talking, and me being the dominant voice, but. Tonight is all about Alex and really getting Ravens fans ready for this matchup and what's going on and taking us through the what's exactly going on with the Steelers, who seem to be a very team of extremes so far this season, Alex.
5: That's a good way to put it. Uh, I feel a lot better talking to you guys after uh, Monday's win against Tampa Bay. Um, I think it puts the Steelers in a much better place. That you know, as I tweeted out Monday night, that if if the Steelers beat the Ravens, and that's certainly no guarantee, but if they do, that puts you two one and one. You're back almost in the driver's seat in the AFC North, depending on what Cincy does. Um, so as tough as those first two weeks were, the tie against Cleveland, the loss against Kansas City. You know the season was far from over uh you know the team turmoil was was overblown um you had five games against AFC North opponents still to go uh it's still a talented team and I think the team showed parts of that against Tampa Bay
0: all right so I, I guess one of the questions that's right on everybody's mind off the top is what the hell is going on with Le'Veon Bell can you kind of take us through a little bit about the nature of the impasse, first of all, and what's going on? And, you know, Steelers fans, you get news on this every day, and Ravens fans don't. So start us from a little bit lower level than you would normally.
5: Yeah, I mean, the bottom line is for the last two years, this team's tried to work a long-term deal with Le'Veon Bell. Um, the issue, generally speaking, has just been the guaranteed portion of the contract. The Steelers are are very different than most teams. Uh, Cincinnati and, and, and Green Bay are similar in terms of they don't offer a lot in terms of fully guaranteed money they offer a lot uh, of contract structures in the form of roster bonuses that's not the direction that bell wants to go there's the overall value of what bell wants you know he said he wants to be paid like a running back and a top tier receiver which you know even if you disagree with you can respect that position i have no problem with him wanting to get what he believes his value is uh, but bottom line is you know the, this past july uh, they didn't get a, a deal done It it seemed that Bell was going to show up for week one, as the story was last year, um, and then it didn't happen clearly. And that I think rubbed a lot of the players the wrong way. So I know national media tried to make it out as an issue of players were bashing Bell because they wanted, you know, because Bell wanted to get paid and they were mad about that. That couldn't be any further from the truth. That was not the case. It was frustration about being misled and misguided about what Bell's plan of attack was going to be. Um, and, And so right now, Though to fast forward to today, we really don't know what Bell's plan is. Um, He could show up. My guess is he'll show up somewhere between week 8 and week 10. He has to show up before week 11 to be eligible to play this year. Um, You know, I know we'll get into the weeds about trade possibilities and things like that. Um, You know, my guess is that he's not going to be dealt. It's not impossible, but he could. But um, there's a lot of ways this could go. We've been wrong about Bell's path before. So at this point, honestly, guys, nothing would surprise me about what Bell chooses to do okay so let's let's go back to the trade because that's another thing it seems like
0: there are a limited number of partners that could actually work for both in terms of cap space in any kind of realistic sense and in terms of uh, you know who really needs a running back and is willing to pay that kind of money for one year given no guarantee of the future right
5: yeah absolutely I mean there again a trades not impossible but there are about a million different hurdles this team and any trade partner would have to overcome to try to get a deal done one is that you can't do a long-term deal. You know, Even if you trade him to, say, the Jets, you can't do a long-term deal tomorrow. I think that's a big misconception that a lot of fans have, that a lot of in the national media have. Bell has to play on the franchise tag this year. He can't do a new deal until this season ends. So mm-hmm. even if he went to, say, the Jets, um, Bell is likely still not to play until midseason because he doesn't want to play on the tag. It's not a Steelers issue. It's a tag issue. Um, so is a team gonna trade a, a high pick for Bell to, for potentially half the year and then you know running the risk of not signing him after the season? You know the the Bears uh, traded for Cleo Mack because they were able to sign him to a mega deal as soon as they, they they traded for him, so there was no risk of trading two first round picks and not, not having him for beyond 2018, you know, a rental player. So there's that issue. Um, Bell essentially has a no trade clause because a trade cannot be completed until he signs the franchise tag. So if he doesn't want to go to the Jets for for whatever reason, obviously the Jets, you know, they might be struggling. Um, He could say, I'm not signing the tag and essentially nullify the deal that way. Then there's just a question of what is fair compensation for a situation like this, a situation we've basically never seen before. You know, obviously Bell can be worth first-round picks, but is a team going to take that risk without the security of a long-term deal in hand as soon as the trade happens? So um, I I know Adam Schefter's report was, the Steelers are listing the offers I'm sure there could be an offer made is it impossible for Bell to get traded no I think the Steelers want to just be done with him um, and that's certainly incentive to move move on but the logistics it's a total nightmare to try to, to try to deal Le'Veon Bell
0: is it is it on the receiving end that a conditional pick or picks could be part of the thing so he he's worth a third round pick say if he doesn't sign the tender until until week 10 and he doesn't play with the team next year. And then he, he, that upgrades to a first if he plays out the entire season from at least week five, say, and maybe two firsts if he signs a long-term deal with the team. Just yeah. to, uh, ridiculous amounts.
5: No, sure. I mean, that, that makes sense. Obviously, we've seen conditions before. I think, you know, Josh Gordon in the Patriots deal has a condition that if he plays X amount of games, you know, the, the, that'll change the, the terms of the deal. So, yeah, that's possible. But, again, that goes into a, a trade negotiation that I would – not be envious of to try to deal with because that would be a mess for any GM to try to work out. There's a lot of risk on both sides associated with that. Um, And again, I just don't think Bell's going to report to any team until, you know, week eight, week 10. He can report after the the, the trade deadline. I think the trade deadline is October 30th, I believe, and um, he doesn't have to report until, I think, November 13th. So, you know, a a team that could be trading for him and still not exactly sure what his plan is. And the last thing I'll say, and this doesn't get talked about very much, but I, I think it should at least be entertained is that bell in theory could sit out the entire season i think there's very little risk of him doing that and i know the big thing people will say is well he's not going to accrue a season which is true but he does not need to accrue season to be a free agent he's already a free agent that's why this team has tagged him twice because he was going to be a free agent and that was the only way to retain him so if he wanted to sit out the entire year the only risk he would run is that the steelers or i suppose any team that could, could trade for him could then put the franchise tag on him again for the same amount as 2018, which is $14.55 million. But at least if you're Pittsburgh, I think they're very unlikely to do that because they've been through this mess Twice now. Why do it a third time? You know, there's no chance of a long term deal being reached. I mean, that's something that could even, you know, I bet your Bell's camp would file a grievance if he got tagged again, knowing that there's no chance of him playing on that and no chance of a long term deal getting done. So, what's the incentive for the Steelers to try to tag him again? So, you know, I think that's another possibility that should be thrown out there is that Bell could sit out the entire year, dare the Steelers to tag him again. They probably wouldn't, then he hits free agency that way without having to play it down this year and has no risk to injury or anything like that.
0: Yeah, that's that's an interesting thing. I hadn't heard that said before, but it does not seem to me like Bell would have a legitimate grievance to file. I mean he's he's been tagged this year and he didn't sure. he didn't go. Well that's the rules of the NFL. he gets tagged again and he's got no he's got no rights to a grievance that sure. I can hear. There's no sound argument but i
5: I could see him file it though just because he's mad about the situation and you just have to deal with it i'm not saying he's gonna win it's like suing somebody you can sue whoever you want you're not gonna win but i think that's an option that he could just be out of spite
0: there you go okay well you know obviously interesting situation in terms of connor's start do you think that influences the Steelers on bell do you think they might even pull the tag at some point
5: no the one thing i'm I'm not certain of really anything about the situation because it has been so crazy. But the one thing I'm certain of is that they are not going to rescind the franchise tag that does nothing for them. All that does is prevent or present the opportunity for Bell to play against play for somebody else, play against Steelers this year. Um, You know, I'd rather have Bell sitting at home playing for nobody than playing against me in a potential playoff game or a potential playoff implication game.
0: Uh, let's, Let's tag it a different way. If the Steelers are four and five, four and six, going into the week 11 game when I guess he has to show up for those last six games to get the service here. Yep. Is that then a point where you maybe change decisions on that and, and let him go? Anyway
5: yeah possibly I mean we crossed that bridge hopefully four and five or four and six isn't isn't oh. on the table but I still think again there's no there's no value to letting him hit free agency and play right now if anything let him sit out this year he's not going to hurt you in any way uh, I, I just don't see the point you know I'd rather just hold on to him for the year and even if he's not going to show up because uh, I'd again I'd rather have him sit at home on his couch than be playing against me okay and by rescinding the franchise tag does he have any impact on the
0: compensatory formula that way and i don't know I, the answer
5: i'm I, i'm not the best with the comp stuff that comp formula is so weird it's so just arcane to try to get to i believe the steelers would still get the comp pick if they rescinded the tag but i'm not 100 percent sure uh again it's a really complicated process but I, I believe that they would
0: okay well interesting interesting topic obviously raven's fans have a certain amount of uh horror show fascination with what's going on and uh uh, you know, frankly, obviously, they're very happy that Le'Veon Bell's not playing this week against the Ravens. Okay, well, let's let's talk to some of the happier things, some of the more the Steelers' success on offense, and take us through the threats that the Steelers have at receiver and uh, and what's going on with each, because obviously, you know, things are very good, and then also things are a little bit disruptive there as well.
5: Yeah, it's not a Steelers a week unless there's some disruption or some drama. I mean, that's just kind of been the storyline for the last two years now. But the offense as a whole, if you're speaking in general terms, I mean, it's been as expected. Um, you have Antonio Brown, who still, for my money, is the best receiver in football. No disrespect to Julio Jones or you know Beckham Jr. or guys like that. But nobody, I think, does it like A.B., considering he's not blessed with the physical tools, some of those other guys are. Now, he's off to a quieter start. I think a couple factors for that. I mean, there's the obvious factor of teams just trying to take him away, bracketing him, um, playing a lot of cover six against him. Um, Ben's deep ball has been an actual problem the first two, three weeks. I think he's completed four of 19 passes over 20-plus yards. Um, The deep ball accuracy has been poor against Tampa Bay. He had a shot hit AB for a touchdown down the right sideline for a big, I think, 40 or 50-yard gain. He missed it out of bounds. Um, So there's been an issue there that's helped limit AB. I I think Brown is averaging... 8.8 8.8 yards per catch that's less than james Conner is averaging per catch which is such an insane stat for for both guys um but but i'm not worried about ab they'll figure it out they'll get on the same page i know there's been some drama with ab Matt on the sideline that's par for the course really i think those are bigger issues outside the locker room than they are inside the locker room but on more positive notes uh juju smith schuster was a heck of a player and he's almost been as favorite of a target for ben roethlisberger as antonio brown has the guy doesn't turn 22 until November um, when he plays like a 10-year vet his football IQ, his ability to find the soft spot in zone coverage, um, the ability to work in scramble drills when Ben gets outside the pocket and get himself open, make himself available has been nothing short of remarkable. Then his toughness, his yak ability, and showing more of a vertical threat. Really, if there's one vertical threat on this offense so far through the first three weeks, it's been Juju Schuster, and he's not a super fast guy. He's a five. 4-5-4 four, four type player, but um, he wins vertical with great body control and hands. So, um, he's been probably the most consistent player on either side of the football throughout these first three weeks and i cannot say enough good things about juju uh, james washington the rookie receiver from oklahoma state the second round pick has become the number three receiver these last two weeks um he's got good hands he's a good you know combative catch guy but he needs to be the vertical threat for this offense that will help take some of the attention away from um ab and juju so he's starting to get more involved into the offense i like his progression but you're looking for him to make an impact play sooner rather than later yeah,
0: Juju and Washington, by the way, are are both players the Ravens fans very much wanted in the draft pick when, as they were failing with various second round defenders uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> in the last three years. So anyway, uh, uh, exciting play. Juju, 27 for 356 already this year, so he's averaging 13.2 a catch. It definitely has been the big receiver for the uh, for the Steelers. So okay, in terms of the tight ends, though, that's also been a huge story. Vance McDonald off to a, an unbelievable start at 19.7 per catch.
5: Yeah, uh, it's so good to have McDonald healthy. He missed virtually all of training camp in the preseason with a foot injury. I think he went down on the third or fourth day of practice, and injuries have always kind of followed him from San Francisco, but it's great to have him healthy out there. Um, One thing the new offensive coordinator, Randy Feetner, has done a really nice job of, and, and you saw it in camp, it's gone away early on because you didn't have McDonald available but getting the tight end isolated. So in the past, and they still still do this the majority of the time, but most teams will go three by one with their X receiver backside isolated. That's usually Antonio Brown. But you look at the the 75-yard touchdown that McDonald had against Tampa Bay. They went three by one with McDonald isolated, so it got him one on one with the safety. Um, and that you know he saw what happened to Chris Conte after that, uh, the stiff arm, then the run for the rest of the score. So uh, I, you know as much as I love Jesse James, his availability, he's played, he's been in leagues in 2015, has only missed two practices. Um, their availability, the consistency has been nothing short of remarkable for a guy like Jesse James, and he's been impressive as well mcdonald gives you that athletic that vertical component that james doesn't and gives you that big seam threat that again will hopefully take some of the attention off of guys like ab and juju working over the middle of the field and working vertical so um both i think in terms of how randy feetner is going to use the tight ends in the talent of the tight ends themselves specifically mcdonald i think it's going to pose a threat for the baltimore who i know has good inside linebackers with kenny young and if cj mostly plays i'm not entirely sure what his status is but McDonald's definitely going to stress that
0: well that's uh, it's an interesting point you make. McDonald is is probably most similar on the roster to Mark Andrews of the Ravens, who's a flex tight end who you can mm-hmm. you can you can split out wide and get that mismatch advantage with. He's been very good in the scene too this year so far. But I, I would say that that Kenny Young is going to be one of the key players in this game because he is one of the guys who can cover a tight end. The other one who hasn't been used in that role but doesn't mind a larger matchup is Jefferson and he's a very good, man matchup on a tight end the Ravens just have not used him that way in the season plus that they've had him very much so it'd be an interesting matchup for there all right well let's continue um we have we've talked about uh some of the receivers here I guess we've talked they, would, they were Darius Haywood Bay is always someone that Baltimore people are interested in because this is where he came from mm-hmm. in fact he went to my high school a long time ago uh <laughs> what can the Steelers still hope to get from him at this point
5: I mean, he is what he is. I'm a big DHB fan, but I think the majority of his value is going to come unnoticed. He's really a special teams guy. is going to be one of the gunners, Uh, the right gunner. Um, and that's where he's kind of he's, – he's maintained that 4-3 speed even, I think, as he's 31 years old right now. Um, he's maintained those wheels, and, and that makes him an asset both in kick coverage and punt coverage. But he's a bit player as a receiver. He might get a couple snaps a game. Because he's a versatile guy that can play all three spots. But when I look at DHB, I look at a guy that, you know, AB is the guy that players will watch work. But whenever you want to go to film study or you want to, you know, really learn how to play the game, you talk. To DHB, that's what players I've interviewed in the past have told me. You know, whenever I want to break down a play, I'm going to Darius Hayward Bay. I'm watching AB do his thing on the sidelines, but I'm going to DHB in the film room. So I think you know they had a new receiver coach this year. Um, they've had a lot of changes at the receiver position, bringing in guys like you know Juju last year, James Washington this season. So that's the big value that DHB brings is special teams and just kind of a leader in that locker room that you can talk to and, and learn from. So you're not going to see much on offense, but he makes his impact in other ways. Does he have a future in coaching? I wonder. I think he does. That, that's a really good point. I think he was at USC's pro day this year. I, I'm not sure in what capacity exactly, but it wouldn't shock me in the least if he became a coach. That seems to be like uh, like T. Martin. I think is the offensive coordinator. That he was a quarterback for the Steelers. So I feel like you know DHB could take a T. Martin kind of path.
0: Okay, this is one of the Ravens' consistent problems: is the ability to draft obviously the correct guys, but also the ability to develop them. And you know you need to. Yeah, I think they're going to need to address all those. All those positions at once. The scouts that draft the wide receivers, figuring out how to value them properly on their own boards, you know, then getting them and actually developing the way the Steelers have. And I, it's a problem that can be fixed without cap. Bichette a wealthy guy who's interested in in fixing his football teams. Just. Strange to me that they hadn't been able to do that. Maybe DHB could be part of that someday. That's really it, interesting.
5: It, it, it's funny you say that because the Steelers are great at drafting receivers. There's no team better at drafting receivers, but you guys can draft defense like none other when the Steelers have struggled. So if we could do some sort of scout swap, yeah, there you go. that would be maybe ideal. Yeah.
0: All right, well, let's go to the offensive line because that's obviously been a Steelers' strength now for a couple of years. And, you know, for— you know five or six years that I can remember the Steelers had a very weak offensive line and we're trying to protect Roethlisberger and let him get a hit a lot but now they really put together a group of five excellent players let's talk through each of those give us, a, give us some talk about productivity and then also contract status on each of them because of course if your other team's going to have great players, we want you to pay for them and, and on a long-term contract.
5: <laughs> well, the great thing the Steelers have done is being able to identify talent and keep that talent around, and it's something they do well across the board, but specifically with the offensive line. The left tackle tackle's going to be Alejandro Villanueva, and I know most people know that story about his time in the Army, um, his service there, and his transition to the NFL, but he's really become a solid left tackle for this team. And, and the thing I liked about Villanueva the most this season is, the last two seasons, for whatever reason, I couldn't tell you why, um, he's gotten off to bad starts. He's allowed, I think, at least two sacks in the first two weeks of, of the, the 2016 and 2017 seasons. But he got off to a much better start this season, facing some pretty tough competition, whether that was Miles Garrett in Week 1, uh, D. Ford in Week 2, and a lot of Jason Pierre-Paul Monday night against Tampa Bay. Um, but I've been really impressed with his ability overall. Um, he uh, Obviously, size is going to be the big factor with him, a guy that's 6'9", 340. Um, the violence with his hands. Um, you know, he has that, that two hand chop where he'll knock the defender's hands down and just take him out of the play. They probably they don't do a lot of jump sets, those short sets, but they probably do it the most with Villanueva because he is so big. And if he can just get his hands on you first, he's going to win that battle the majority of the time. A little vulnerable to, to some of the speed rushes because he is 6'9 and he can't double over. And, um, you know, there's just, you know, only, you know, you're only so athletic when you're 6'9 340, but been impressed with him. At left guards, Ramon Foster, um, he's entering the last year of his contract. Um, Got off to a rough start. He missed all of camp with a, a bone bruise in his knee, similar to what C.J. Mosley suffered. Um, but I think he's kind of shaking off some of that rust and is in a, in a better place now. Um, he's been the consistent guy on this offensive line for a long time. Came in the league, I think, in 2009. as an undrafted free agent. Was a swing guy early in his career that played a lot of tackle. Um, he's now found a spot in a home at left guard. And the guy I would probably consider, along with Marquise Pouncey the leaders of that offensive line. Um, at centers, of course, Marquis Bouncy, And I know, like, I, I love places like pro football, pro football Focus, but they just ding him every week. And I, I mm-hmm. totally disagree. I think he's one of the top centers in the league still. Um, his athleticism, um, his ability to work in zone blocks, ability to climb to the second level. Um, his pass protection's always been really steady. Can occasionally get overpowered by some of the big nose tackles you guys have and Brandon Williams and Michael Pierce. Um, but, you know, that's just the size thing where those guys are freaks. And, and I love watching guys like Williams and Pierce play. Um, but he's locked up for a couple of years as well. Right guard it gets a little tricky on the right side because of the injuries david castro marcus gilbert missed the tampa bay game uh tomlin said today that there's a legitimate chance those guys both play DeCastro castro has a broken hand gilbert i believe has a hamstring injury but those are both top tier guys when they play uh the was to me a top three guard in the nfl gilbert's to me a top five right tackle both excellent athletes great size uh movement skills and, and it's just play pretty clean and those guys are under contract for I think at least two more years as well so it, it's a really solid starting five led by Mike Munchak and the assistant Sean Surrett uh, Munchak I think most people know is is one of the best offensive line coaches in football and whenever there's been an injury and an next man up whether that's a BJ Finney or, or his last week a, a Matt Filer um, those guys have always been impressive and, and it's just a line that plays technical and, and, and plays fast and, and Munchak puts them in positions to succeed and that's the best thing you can say about a coach okay so I mentioned Foster's bone bruise how long was he out with that by the way he got hurt on the third day of training camp it was literally the first series in pads and he went down and got tied up with a defensive lineman so he missed the, from the third day of training camp so that was the end of July until week one really he started practicing I wow. think to start of week one so he missed basically a month a little bit more uh, and that's created some rust but uh, I think he's starting to kind of get his legs under him again
0: I'm very fearful that Mosley's injury is worse than they're letting on. I mean, that's, that's always the case. They talk about it being a bone bruise, and I wonder what, what else it might be or how bad it might yeah. be.
5: It was a weird injury with Mosley because he just jumped mm-hmm. over a guy, and then he went down. It was it was vastly different the way the foster got hurt. That's the worst kind of injury is non-contact, though.
0: That's yep. Those end up being the worst kind. So yep. um, anyway, f- frustrating, and, and I'm sure he'll be back. And I agree with you on DeCastro. The, the AFC North – just in recent years, had Betonio, DeCastro, Osemele, Yanda, and who else am I? Uh, Zeidler, all mm-hmm. at one time. That's a hell of a group of guards <laughs> for one division to have. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, let's move on to Ben Roethlisberger. and it, it, Obviously, Ravens fans know him pretty well. Uh, what has changed about him with the passage of
5: time, and where is he right now in his career? I know a lot of people made uh, much to do about losing weight. I think he showed up about 10 pounds lighter than he usually does. Um, I think overall, if you look from the last you know, five to 10 years compared to now, and I think the national media has finally caught on about this about three years too late, but he's evolved from being backyard Ben, the guy that runs around and throws Terrell Suggs off of him and stuff like that, to being a true, not a true, but a much more accomplished and a majority of the time a pocket passer was able to create with subtle movements instead of again throwing guys off um, and, and making the play from within the pocket as opposed to outside of it because you know the dudes the dudes getting close to retirement, or closer to the end than the beginning his body's taken a ton of wear and tear throughout his career that the way that he played in the first half of his career which is not sustainable for any quarterback you have to change your game I think he's done a nice job of that both in terms of the talent around him the offensive coordinators building up the offensive line but his own progression too and his own evolution so he'll still produce some of those plays where he can work outside the pocket and keep a play alive there's no doubt about that Um, but he's I think become much more intelligent quarterback Uh, I think he reads defenses a lot better not perfectly but better Um, And a guy that's now able to play within the pocket and within the structure of the play uh, more than outside of it, which is probably the reverse of what happened the first several years of his career. All right, I'm, I'm wondering how the
0: Steelers practice in some regards with, with, with Roethlisberger. Cause you mentioned a very interesting point, I thought, earlier with Juju, that he was very good after the route is done at, at extending the play and, and, and finding open space. And the Ravens receivers in recent years, that's been a huge problem. The only guy they had really, really was any good at it were Smith and before that Bolden. They really haven't had a lot of other guys who are good at it. And... It's got to come in part as as part of practice that the route is broken immediately. You need to figure out what you're doing. And it can't just be everybody rolls to the right sideline with the right handed roll kind of thing. It has, you have to have something else you do. So what is it about the Steelers that makes them successful at that and able to, to ha- get Ben opportunities after the routes are over that the Ravens can't seem to match?
5: That's a really good question. I think that the Steelers just see it every day in practice. And so eventually you learn that this is how it works. The offensive line learns to, to keep blocking until uh, the echo of the whistle. The receivers learn that the play is never over. Don't assume that it's over. Um, and, and, you know, if you're a guy like Antonio Brown, you've seen this every day for, you know, years now from Ben. And, and some of the new guys have gotten a taste of it as well. So, you know, I think it's just, you know, obviously it's fairly unique that, that Ben's been able to make some of the plays that he has. But when you see it in practice every day, you know, the way that you practice is the way that you play. So I think that's just what makes the Steelers effective at it. And um, these guys find out pretty quickly that you, know, you can't quit on a play because Ben's not quitting on it. Um, stay with your route. And, again, guys that just practice every day. Jesse James, for example, has shown a great feel in chemistry with uh, Ben on these scramble drills. Jesse James has missed two practices in his career. So when you practice literally every single day with Ben, you see him make those plays routinely. You know, you just get used to it, and that's just kind of second nature to you.
0: Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point because – uh, yeah, they probably are slower to blow the whistle in Steelers practice, I'm going to guess. It's almost like when I'm at Ravens practice, they want to punish the offensive line for not protecting the quarterback, so they blow the whistle quickly. And all that does is is kill the play and, yeah. and kill the creativity at the end of that. So I wonder if that has something to do with it anyway.
5: I think you're right. For the rookies, they, I think they blow it a little bit quicker to tell the rookie quarterbacks, like, you got to get the ball out quick. But for Ben, no one's touching him. You know that. No one. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows not to go near number seven, so let them play a little bit more. Yeah, there you go. Okay, well, let's talk about some of the interesting stuff in
0: terms of scheme of the of the Steelers offense and and what they do. They, they use a the fullback much. I know they have Roosevelt or Nick's on the roster now.
5: Yeah, they go heavy. Uh, I think Feetner's kind of carried the baton from Todd Haley in that he'll open up games in a variety of ways. Sometimes they'll go empty with you know 11 personnel and spread the receivers and tight ends out, but there'll be times where they go 22 personnel and they bring in Big Rosie Nix, who's a former defensive lineman, a very old school throwback, impact special teams player kind of guy. Um, so yeah, I mean they use him. I think it's I don't have I don't know the percentage for sure, but about 10 15 percent of the time. But there'll be just series where they decide to go heavy and try to pound the rock, and so um, that's when he gets involved.
0: Okay, so and what's their preferred running formation? Do they really prefer to run out of eleven personnel into the nickel, or out of out of two tight end sets into the into? Well, I guess it could be the nickel or the standard.
5: They're still a base 11 team, like most teams are. They're a base three receiver set because they've had so much talent at receiver. And I think they prefer to spread things out, give someone like Levy and Bell when he was available, you know, some bigger running lanes to, to, to find and, and cut through. Um, but again, they will vary things up. Again, you expect them to be a base 11 team, but they'll go 22, they'll go 23. Um, you know, I've seen in camp that they'll go heavy and then try to spread guys out. So they'll go with like, you know, 12 or 22 personnel and then go empty set. I haven't seen as much of that in, in, in game, which is probably good. But whenever you get some of the weapons like France McDonald and Jesse James, um, there could be some receiving threats. Maybe that's going to give this team more flexibility to keep the appearance of going heavy, but then spread you out, get those tight ends on linebackers, create those one-on-one matchups, force your base defense to defend the entire field vertically and horizontally. So I'm waiting to see that component from the Steelers offense that could be an interesting wrinkle. All right. So last year in the 26-9 win at Baltimore, which is the worst
0: beating the the Steelers have ever given the Ravens here, uh, they had they used the power run almost exclusively. I won't say almost exclusively, but very effectively. How about I say that? Mm-hmm. And a lot of pulling from left to right, mostly. Actually, there was a lot of a lot of right to left as well with the Castro. Yeah. Uh, one one sight I keep seeing in my head is Weddle getting wiped out by a receiver in level two. Are the 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 tight ends and the receivers good blocking assets? In space, are they just average for an NFL? Would you say?
5: I think it depends who you're talking about. I think Juju takes a ton of pride in it. He cleaned Chris Conti's clock before Conte got stiff-armed by Vance McDonald on a crack block uh, Monday night. Um, I think James Washington is a very willing blocker. AB is about the worst blocker in football, uh-huh. uh, but that's to be expected. I don't really want him getting his hands dirty too much, but you're right. Uh, this is still It's a team that runs a variety of, of, of run concepts, they're not just the it's not Alex Gibbs. that's running just inside zone, outside zone all game. They're running everything, but power I think is still their bread and butter. Uh, all three rushing touchdowns from James Conner this year have been off of power, with either Ramon Foster or David DeCastro pulling. Um, they get Rosie Nix in the game. You know they're kicking out the end, they're getting to the second level and and, and creating that uh, that crease behind. So um, you know it's a team that'll run inside zone, it's a team that'll run power, they even run some dart occasionally with a tackle, the backside tackle pulling across. Uh, but but bread and butter is is their power game and their inside zone game in the run, in the run game
0: okay now you, you mentioned connor's three touchdowns all three running or the three running rushing touchdowns he has are they all fairly short yardage inside the five yard line or they or there were some that were longer
5: they were two short yardage within five yards and i think he had a 22 yard run okay. against cleveland that was a gun off power and then i think they pulled i think they pulled a castro on that play
0: okay all right very good um in terms of trick plays what are you seeing this year
5: not a ton. This isn't the old Ken Whisenhunt days where they had Antoine Randall throwing the football. Um, I think they keep it pretty straight up, which I'm okay with. I'd rather to not run trick plays. You got Ben, you got AB. <laughs> I want those guys, you know, doing the things that they do well instead of giving the ball to somebody else and doing something kind of fancy. Haley would used to run some end arounds with guys like Martavis Bryant with minimal success. I haven't seen much of that um, yet. I, I guess some of the creative things that that Feetner will and has done. Ryan Switzer, who they acquired from Oakland, who's to be primary the kick return and punt returner has actually had a larger footprint on the offense than I've expected. They get him in the backfield quite a bit and he's a little motion out to try to see what the coverage is or they'll hand the football off to him out of the backfield on some of these inside schemes, some of these power schemes um, just to kind of give a different wrinkle and obviously a guy going from James Conner that's 5'11", 220 to Ryan Switzer that's not, <laughs> that's a 180 pound kind of guy to give that different element um, but I haven't seen a lot of trick. There's been some more run pass options, the RPOs um, I think Ben has a little bit more freedom and, and and some of those uh, more calls in terms of that regard um being able to have more options to line the scrimmage than what he's had under Todd Haley but nothing super tricky this isn't the this isn't the 2005 Steelers running crazy trick plays or anything mm-hmm. is, is there
0: any matchup that you think uh works out well for the Ravens and their defense versus the Steelers offense
5: I mean, I've always done a great job of controlling the line of scrimmage. Um, As much as I've given props to the the interior offensive line for the Steelers, um, I think that defensive line for for Baltimore has always been so deep and so physical. Again, Williams and Pierce, and when you had Timmy Jernigan a couple years ago, um... I, I, I've just started to kind of go through my Ravens tape. I watched one game. I think I watched the Bengals game offense and defense on the on the All-22, so I haven't gotten the best feel for, for what they're doing effectively this year. But, you know, I think what Baltimore does really well and has always given the Steelers tru- uh, trouble is, is disguising their coverages, rolling safeties late, some of the blitz packages you guys have put in. Um, it's always kind of given Ben Fitz to try and just figure out what the coverage is going to be. And then when you have younger receivers like a Juju or James Washington trying to get those guys on the same page as well, that can lead to miscommunication and then obviously that miscommunication can lead to incompletions turnovers you know sacks etc so um, I think schematically Baltimore's always had a great plan of attack even though the Steelers see him twice a year and sometimes three times a year but um, I think they won the point of attack I think they make the Steelers a one-dimensional team um, you know forcing them to throw the football and then schematically they get the blitz packages and and create some chaos
0: all right very good so I'm sure the Ravens fans will be will be happy to hear a lot of that that's uh, great stuff Alex Ready to move on to the defense? Yeah, let's do it.
5: That's okay. the bad part. <laughs> now it's it getting a little <laughs>
0: ugly talking about it. Now, I, I, I intentionally kept my question shorter here, but but one of the things that the Ravens have always done, always done and I, very different from the Steelers over the years as I think of them, is the Ravens have always been a, a very strict rotational team on the defensive line. They they no, Nobody ever accumulates too many snaps. Even Nada and Greg, in their best years were you know not I got his highest I think 76 percent of the snaps one year but other than that he was about 67 percent was his highest ever and Greg got up to 75 once but otherwise was in the 60s or lower they don't have anybody at that level now and nobody over 54 percent last year to it Hargrave and Hayward what kind of percentage of the snaps do they get now
5: I mean, this runs through Tua and Hayward. Uh, you know, while the Steelers are a base three-four team, they play nickel and sub-package the majority of the time, as most teams do at, at this stage in the NFL. Uh, the Steelers have done their best to get the snap count down for Tua and Hayward because they've they've played seasons in the. 80 to 85 percent range so far and uh, above beyond what Baltimore's done and the team has recognized that they have to get those snap counts down they have to find more depth and more rotational pieces um, just because you just can't play defensive lineman you know 800 snaps a season I expect them to be healthy and, and ready to go for the end of the season and um, the playoff run so they've been a little bit more around i think 70 75 percent which is about where you, you you would want them um they found some better defensive line depth and tyson Alulu who they brought over from jacksonville a former first round pick that's done well um so long story short more of a rotation they've done things like Jabon hargrave who has been a nose tackle the first two years of his career he's played a little bit of, of a base three four end um they have dan mccullers who's the big six eight 350 pound mm-hmm. guy to play some more nose tackle so they try to do a bit more of a rotation but the majority of the time, you're going to see them in their two, four, five nickel with it as the left side and Hayward on the right side.
0: Okay, so yeah, Hargrave is the guy who effectively ended Jeremy Zuda's time in Baltimore with about seven bull rush pressures <laughs> in, that, in that game on Christmas Day. A game I'm still upset about that, and I, I promised I wouldn't go into too much storytelling, but I'm going to go to this one here: is the Ravens had third and goal from the 10 yard line with a minute and 23 or whatever it was when when uh, scored the go ahead touchdown in that game. And I kept saying the call should have gone into the huddle at that point to have him, if he broke through, kneel at the one. And Dupree actually gave up on the play. If you look at the look at the play from behind, Dupree gave up on trying to tackle check <laughs> on it. It looked like he wanted him to score. With it would obviously have been the right play anyway. Ravens' chance I think would have been about eight to ten percent higher to win the game if they if they had been down at the one instead. Both ways had risks. I know pure, football purists hate it, but that's the way that I thought would have been the would have been the better shot. So I'm still butthurt. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> let's move on to a more pleasant topic here. Um, how, how have the Steelers been rushing the quarterback this year?
5: And, and I'm really talking schematically now in terms of their blitzes, their stunts and what they do. I have to go through the percentages because we chart I chart the Steelers defense every week and I chart you know how much they blitz um, going from Dick LeBeau to Keith Butler the blitz percentage has gone down every year leading up to this year around Dick LeBeau I think it's final year I believe they blitzed around 33% of the time Keith and Butler let me less. stop you
0: there for a second you're when you're defining a blitz as being five or more you're defining it as a blitz as coming off the line of scrimmage to blitz or what do you saying?
5: I define it both ways. I have it set up four, five or more, but I'm talking about just any time anyone other than a defensive lineman or an outside linebacker rushes, to me that's a blitz. So they, get, they could rush four, but if they're bringing the nickel corner, I consider that a blitz. Yes, because- that's a blitz. It's a nickel corner coming, you know Um, So it it, LeBeau's final season I think they were about 33% Keith Butler last year, it dipped down to about 25-ish percent The number I think has gone up the first three weeks This season, but again, I don't have the number charted Or I don't have it uh, tabulated yet, so I'm not 100% sure, but Keith Butler and Mike Tallman have expressed the desire to Get home with four in the past, his team has Had the blitz really out of an obligation The blitz rather than a want to because the front Four pressure has not simply been there For a variety of reasons, Um, but But, um, you know, there's definitely a component of Dick LeBeau's fire zone. I think Keith Butler has eased off of that a little bit. They've become more of a man coverage team this year for sure. But you're going to get a variety of creative blitz, whether that's the nickel corner. um, They'll tandem, they'll bring the nickel corner, and the strong safety sometimes. So you get those hallmarks to the the fire zone defense where you have the backside outside linebacker dropping out, the defense alignment occasionally dropping out. Um, So you still have a lot to game plan for, and your protection has to be sound to face the Steelers defense.
0: OK, so the, the big change for the Steelers the fans this this week will be a team that blitzes a hell of a lot more as much as they did in the Ryan era with uh, Don Martindale. At least I expect it to be the same against the Steelers. They've they've blitzed, blitzed an average of 19 times per game from off the line of scrimmage, which is the same as it was in the Ryan era. And it was seven times per game last year with Dean Pease. So uh, big difference for for the Ravens there.
5: I'm, I'm really interested in that. How about stunts? Do the Steelers do a lot of that? Oh yeah, ton of it. I mean, when you blitz, uh, there's just natural stunts in terms of the you know end having a loop to become backside contained because the linebacker dropped out. Um, you're trying to create, you know, you're starting to create space on a nickel corner blitz. You know, whoever's lined up in the B gap is now going to stunt to the A gap to create that gap in the B gap. Um, but it's not always that creative. I think one thing that defensive uh, coordinator Keith Butler does really well is some of the inside linebacker B gap blitzes, um, where you're where you're dropping the backside end and you're rushing uh, the the blitz side outside linebacker to be the contained guy. You're trying to create that. gap. in the B-gap. Vince Williams had eight sacks last season. John Bostix has two sacks this season, which matches a career high for him. Um, So I think I think Butler's mentality, similar to LeBeau, is still about safe pressure. They're not going to be bringing six and seven that often. They're finding ways to creatively send four and five um, and to kind of just make that one guy wrong along the offensive line. And as I'm sure you guys know, if one guy's wrong on the offensive line, (laughs) they're effectively all wrong because, you know, the pressure's going to get home. So it's not always about the crazy blitzes, but it's just about finding that safe pressure where you're sending an inside linebacker instead of the outside guy um, enough times that it's going to get home. And Vince Williams and Bostick, if they're one-on-one with a backer, uh, they practice those backs on backers drills every day in training camp or, or twice a, in training camp those are the big highlights um, those guys are going to win much more often than not
0: all right very good and the outside linebacker depth seems to be while they the starting players Watt and Dupree are both pretty good we're still at a point where I would not call this the deepest the Steelers have ever been at outside linebacker
5: far from it Uh, it, it's still one of the biggest concerns even with the starters you know Bud Dupree has been so up and down Um, the production hasn't matched the investment of a first round pick in him Um, he's the guy that has to show more power moves has to do a better job of converting speed to power Um, he's mainly been kind of an edge rusher and it's very easy for tackles to sit on that force him wide and dare him to to beat him inside because he just hasn't done it even TJ Watt who I think is a really impressive and a well rounded player and I I, I really enjoy watching his progression Um, he, he plays well against Cleveland and not nearly as well as against other teams. Uh, he had three sacks in the opener against Cleveland, hasn't had a sack yet. Um, so, you know, there's still development for him. One thing that should be noted about the outside linebackers is that for the majority of the time, Watt and Dupree have flip sides. So now Watt's the left outside linebacker. Dupree is the right outside linebacker. They occasionally flip. Keith Butler likes to put those guys off ball. They do a lot of creative stuff in sub package, but uh, they have flipped this year. I guess their idea was to make them better pass rushers. I'm pretty skeptical of that. Uh, it hasn't really felt like it's worked so far, but uh, the tackles are going to be facing some new guys this week.
0: Okay, when you say off-ball, you mean off the line of scrimmage. You're not talking about like a nine-wide technique.
5: No, I mean off-ball. Well, they'll put like Vince Williams as the outside guy and put T.J. Watt in that inside linebacker spot or or bud or, or or someone like that. So they move those pieces around to give different looks and again just to try to create those just different bits of chaos. All right. Very interesting.
0: The Ravens are coming off a game against Denver where they had to deal with Von Miller, and they did a very creative job of of uh, taking care of the Broncos' pass rush. But the main thing was Flacco got rid of the ball quickly. So it'll be interesting to see how the Steelers want to challenge with the rush in this game. Uh, let's go on to the to the pass defense. So one of the things that always interests me most is what what is the base pass defense the Steelers use? You you mentioned the two four five. Do they go to dime very often?
5: yeah they have they've tried to use dime the last several seasons they just haven't had a good dime defender so that's why they really invested in the safety position this year bringing Morgan Burnett over from Green Bay drafting Terrell Edmonds in the first round drafting safety Marcus Allen in the fifth round who hasn't played this year but but could be an option down the line um yeah when this team it's been harder to figure out what this team wants to do this year I think it's been a, a lot more different looks and packages in the past you know against uh 12 personnel or anything heavy they're in base against 11 personnel they're in nickel if it's third and five plus they're in dime this year there's been more variety i mean they ran dime on first and 10 last week against against tampa bay so it's been a little bit harder to try to figure out when and where um this team's going to bring in their different personnel groupings but uh they've run dime i think they ran more dime against the chiefs than they did against uh then they ran nickel so um yeah they can go with and uh, when they go uh to their dime package they removed John bostick so it becomes like a 2-3-6 as their mm-hmm. dime package and they have the two defense alignment vince williams the two edge guys and then 60 b's right
0: and that that's kind of the normal dime i think nfl teams yeah. run these days so yep. uh, that's interesting though the dime situations against tampa with well, those were the big lead with us 30 to 13 30 to 20 whatever it was or what was the <laughs> when, when was that occurring it, it interests me mm-hmm. personally
5: it's still largely situational, so if it's third and five-plus, they're going to be in dime the majority of the time. If it's a two-minute drill and a half-end the half end game, they're going to be in dime. Mm-hmm. But like I said, they have shown it this year where they haven't always you know, had it that cleanly cut, where, again, on first and 10, I've seen them run dime. Um, I think Tomlin—I think Bruce Arians in week one said that Tomlin told him that they want to run more nickel against 12 personnel against two tight end sets, which they have done this year. I'm not entirely sure the rationale behind it, but that's what they've done. So— um, like I said, it's not as clean cut this year as it has been in seasons past of, okay, the offense comes out in this personnel, the Steelers are going to respond with this grouping. It's been a little bit more of a variety, a little bit harder to predict whether that's good or bad, I guess, remains to be seen. Uh, but again, generally dime is going to be in obvious past situations. All
0: right. All right. Well, let's talk about the, about the rest of the backfield in terms of uh, obviously there's been intri- some injury problems and some consistency issues uh, with some of the players. But t- tell us about the defensive backfield and who do you think is the Steelers their best base five that they can put out there?
5: base five maybe base four would be a (laughs) better because they're trying to find just like some starters (laughs) let alone the sub package players but it's been an adventure um this was such a huge year for guys like bud dupree and sean davis and Artie burns i'm not ready to write any of those guys off yet but you know you're looking for more from all of them especially that right cornerback spot it's a mess right now and i'm being kind they rotated burns and cody sensible last week the week before they were rotating uh cam sutton and cody sensible at the left corner spot when joe Hayden was out. Hayden's back. That's going to give the Steelers some stability they need. He's their best corner by far, and um, he's not the greatest corner in the world, but, again, the, the best of a, of a pretty mediocre bunch. I like Mike Hilton at the nickel spot, but he's got an elbow injury. His status, as of this recording, is unknown. He, there's a good chance he won't play this week against Baltimore, but that remains to be seen. So they're trying to figure it out. They've brought in. I mean, they've had, through three weeks, and they've only had minor injuries, they've played nine defensive backs. Uh, wow. Wow. So I mean they're just trying to throw everything at the wall, seeing what sticks. They've had Nat Berhe, um, who's really supposed to be supposed to be a special teams guy, be the dime defender last week with Burnett um, out with a hamstring. Good chance Burnett returns this week. So honestly, they're just trying to figure it out with the rest of us and and, and just putting as many bodies out there and, and seeing who sticks. Okay, I'll just tell you right now the Ravens have also played nine and all of them have at least 10 snaps this year. so uh, okay, feel fear your pain then
0: yeah, we, we feel the pain. So uh, anyway, I, obviously, the Raven's also still trying to figure it out there. Uh, tell us a little bit about Terrell Edmonds and what you've seen so far, because obviously he was a big—I won't call him a stretch pick necessarily, but he probably was drafted a little bit higher than a lot of people expected.
5: Yeah, I, I didn't think it was too big of a reach. I expected him to go early second round, and again, the Steelers, do a, the Steelers don't disguise who they want to draft in the first round. It's very— there's kind of a plan it's power five it's guys they've met with it's guys with good bloodlines good athletes underclassmen so when you go reflect on the pick I think it made a lot of sense I think he's done well Um, he's gotten a lot of playing time a lot of exposure Morgan Burnett missed a good chunk of training camp in the preseason with soft tissues injuries so that gave Edmonds putting him in a starting position that he wouldn't have otherwise been in. Um, You know, it's not been spectacular. The interception he had against Tampa Bay was an overthrow he capitalized on, which, I mean, hey, good for him, but it wasn't a spectacular play. But I think the bottom line is I think his communication has been pretty clean. He's not letting the football behind him. He's not blowing coverages. He's been a reliable tackler for the most part. So I think for a young guy that, I think he's 21 or 22 years old. Again, an underclassman should be a senior in college right now um, to kind of be in the role that he's in. I think he's done a, a good enough job. All right. And
0: if if I cast you in the role of the Ravens offensive coordinator, how would you attack the Steelers past defense with with what you know to be the Ravens assets?
5: Vertically. I mean, I'm running four verts almost every play because the Steelers still still do enough spot drop zone where they let some of those guys run free down the seam. Um, They've had issues with a tight end. Travis Kelsey in week two, Cameron Brait a little bit uh, against Tampa Bay where they don't do good enough job of rerouting. Um, and getting guys off their spot. Guys run two free down the middle of the field. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm going empty. I'm going, you know, four verts. So I'm, I'm forcing this defense to, one, when you go empty, you know, it's harder for defenses to disguise coverages, disguise blitzes. Patrick Mahomes, I think, went 15 for 19 against empty uh, when they played the Steelers. Uh, the Steelers just have not had good answers for defending four verts, defending um, uh, the empty set. And and although they aren't as much of a cover three team anymore, like they were under Nick LeBeau, um, you know, it's a team that still plays probably too much spot drop zone and the man coverage isn't always the most effective thing either
0: all right very good outstanding stuff alex in terms of what you're charting defensively i'd love to to exchange methodologies with you that's something i've done since the beginning of mm-hmm. uh, raven's history has charted every play defensively so i'd love to love to exchange methodologies with you let's move on to special teams though tell us a little bit about what's going on and i guess everybody's got questions about boswell are, are you concerned
5: I mean it's hard not to be concerned when you've missed five kicks in, in three weeks but I'm, you know people say let's cut Boswell, let's move on. I'm not anywhere near that yet. Uh, I think Boswell has earned the opportunity to kick through it and I know I got yelled up on Twitter about this but you know most of his misses have been like by two feet or less off the upright or just missed, and I get it there's still misses they still count. I get the concept but I mean we' you know if, if those kicks go two feet to the left they're good and we aren't tied in this conversation is the point I'm trying to make so it's it's a bit of a concern you know kickers are fickle it's such a mental position you never really know uh until you until you know until they figure it out or they don't but uh you know I think that there's still faith in Boswell Mike Tomlin was asked about that said he's our kicker we got a ton of confidence in him so the team has his back for now and you just hope he kicks through it through it and turns it around contract wise where is he right now he just got a new deal actually right before the season started um I forget the terms so if they had to get out
0: of it how much would it how much would it be approximately I'm sorry you may have just been answering that question
5: uh, I think it's like seven point five million in, in in dead money if they were to cut them, um, which mm-hmm. is a pretty hefty amount. Because, like I said, the deal just got done. But uh, I think we're a ways away from having that conversation, at least.
0: Okay. All right, very good. How about the other
5: special teams performers? And I love – any information you have the gunners is always of
0: interest to me, but anything about the return game or the punt game?
5: Yeah, no, I'm a big special teams guy, so we're going to be BFFs because I love special teams more than probably <laughs> looking at any other part of the game. The gunners, um, it's been a little floaty because of some of the injuries, but expected to be Cam Sutton as the left gunner, DHB as the right gunner. Um, one thing the Steelers do that's probably uncommon in the league is that they will use some of the starters and – aspects of special teams uh last year tj watt was playing the left guard spot on the punt coverage team which i hated they finally got him off of there this year but they've had starting corners be the jammer so you know joe hayden's been the jammer before and the the punt return team he actually got hurt on on that coverage so (laughs) Maybe not the best idea, but you know, last week the two jammers were already Burns and Cody Sensabaugh, those guys that played heavily at cornerback. So um, for whatever reason, that's kind of the approach the Steelers go with. Um, special teams have been up and down overall. I, I think it's not as bad as people perceive it to be. Jordan Berry, the punter, has had some some difficulty, but the Steelers are much more of a directional team than they are kind of a an open punt you know booming punt kind of team they want to pin it to the left side between the the hash or the numbers in the sideline uh more than they care about distance and hang time and things like that mm-hmm. they will want to just you know they want to have good net they don't want to have the big return um and that's kind of the approach with jordan Berry um he's gotten better i think he's a little bit better than people think and he'll punt through some of the issues that he's had um the, the return game i think it's been solid again bringing in ryan switzer he's the kick and punt returner Definitely a natural at it. I think it was a, they finally found a, a really solid guy to do both those things. They've had Antonio Brown on the punt return team for years now. They've always tried to find ways to get him off that unit. They finally found that in Switzer. And they've, I think they've always mismanaged the kick return spot. They did a terrible job of it in 2017. But, you know, Switzer's been now the guy, and they have one consistent guy to, to be their kick returner, and he's done a nice job. The coverage units I think are really good. Um, Roosevelt Nix, again, the fullback we talked about earlier, um, is a guy that, you know, just plays with just, just – Total reckless kind of an approach, um, and he's the guy that gets in people's faces and and really gets them pissed off at you. Uh, Tyler Medikevich is a is a core special teamer. That's one of their top guys. So is Anthony Chicolo, the number three outside of the linebacker. The one thing I will say. Special teams coordinator Danny Smith, I think, does really well, maybe better than anybody else, is being able to create pressure on the pump block team. I think the way he Mm -hmm. schemes stuff up, the way he gets interior A-gap pressure, um, does it better than most, and they've blocked a lot of punts these last two years and gotten really close on several more occasions. So they block field goals, they block punts, so um, the Ravens have to be really sound with their scheme in terms of their their coverage team and their blocking team on the punt and field goal unit because Danny Smith will get after you and they have the guys to, to do it.
0: All right, well, you know the Ravens had a punt block this last week that led to that first Broncos score, so that'd be a concern of mine right off the bat. Uh, Give us any other tidbit that you think is important going into this game. Any other piece of information you'd pull out?
5: I mean, for the Steelers' defense, it's been been very difficult to watch. Um, This is a team that I think is going to be successful defensively if they are able to create turnovers and play well in situational football. They aren't. Simply talented enough to to you know play really well across the board. They are going to give up chunk plays. They're going to get gashed in the run game more than they have in the past. Um, they're going to miss some tackles. They're just not at that Steelers defense that we're accustomed to. But as was the case against Tampa Bay, they played well in situational football. Tampa Bay was three and nine on third down. They were two five two or five in the red zone. Steelers forced uh, four turnovers. So you know the Steelers can just kind of play that situational football and and make one or two splash plays. That's their blueprint for success. Um, but uh, yeah, it's going to be a good game. These games are always close. I mean, they're always one-possession games. The other element I would say, and I'm I'm trying to think of the the one X factor, is the penalties for Pittsburgh, and I know that flags have been flying everywhere this year. It's it's pretty common for every team, but the Steelers, through three games, have 37 penalties. That's the most by any team through the first three games since the 98 Raiders, and it's the wow. most in franchise history. So they were flagged 12 times the first two weeks and then flagged 13 times against Tampa Bay. And you're talking one-possession football. You're talking about close games, Pittsburgh, Baltimore. You get penalized double-digit times. Your chances of winning probably just went down considerably. Where are those flags
0: coming? Are they are they silly false start and, and de- offside flags that are out of uh... – you know, uh, flags of aggression, we'll call them, or are they the real expensive
5: DPI and offensive holding calls that stall drives and kill things? It's been popcorn. It's been a variety of things. It's been a lot of unforced errors against Kansas City. Six of the 12 penalties were, you know, offsides, false starts, illegal formation, just stuff that's totally within the Steelers' control. They weren't subjective things like holding. Um, it's probably been actually more of those dumb things that are totally within your control than it is. The personal fouls and and things like that there have been some of the rough in the pass recalls I'm sure you guys saw to it and John Davis both got called for the body weight call uh, against Tampa Bay but uh, a lot of the problems could be solved by just playing technical playing sound and not doing dumb things like lining up offsides or you know illegal shifts and stuff like that so I'm not going to use the refs as an excuse because the Steelers have their own problems that they could control and clean up and need to clean up um, if they want to you know get back on the right track all right
0: Outstanding stuff. I want to ask you for a prediction. We'll probably just get two different predictions on that, Alex, and that's uh, that's terrific. But uh, thanks for coming on, uh, Josh. Do we have any mailbag questions we can get to? Yeah, that, that but involved?
4: yeah, but I've got some questions on my own. I've just been holding back because I want I want to give a little bit. Uh, Ken, I want you had all that time to get into the real nitty gritty of the football game. I want to look more at the the fan perspective, and on the the penalty side, I will say I am concerned about this roughing the passer penalty. On Sunday night. I feel like these teams don't like each other. They like to get in little cheap shots and I feel like we're going to see that flag all the time. I'm pretty sure I saw Ben just flop at least once in <laughs> Monday night's game. So I am nervous about that. But uh, how is the Steeler fan base handling being one one and one? I know we're talking the day after a win. So that makes things a little better. But you got to be nervous.
5: Yeah, in a word, uh, to answer how they've handled it, uh, terribly. Uh, my Twitter timeline has been just a dumpster fire, uh, basically since the opening kickoff of the season. Uh, but that's how Steeler fans are. Uh, they're very passionate, and and uh, when things go bad, uh, things are really bad, and and you hear about it. So it's like any other fan base. There, there's overreactions. There's you know, I've seen people say trade Ben and and uh, trade AB and fire Tomlin. Just standard. You know, don't go in the Facebook comment section. is basically how I would respond to the Steelers fan base because it's a mess. But that's that's not unique to Pittsburgh, I'm sure.
4: Right, it's the same way here. I don't turn on the radio station after a loss. <laughs> exactly. Um, and that, but that's. I also wanted to ask about that with Ben getting older, and there was a lot of talk this preseason about the backup quarterbacks that you guys had into camp. Has that mm-hmm. talk continued? That those guys are really being praised, or how how's that stand?
5: Well, since the regular season started, it's really died down as is commonplace. But you know, Mason Rudolph was drafted to be the heir to Ben Roethlisberger, and now hopefully that doesn't happen for another four to five years. That's what Ben said, but you know who knows what could happen. One concussion, one injury, you know, could could change that that set of circumstances. So uh, you know, Josh Dobbs is the backup to Ben, which was a surprise. We all thought it was going to be the longtime vet Landry Jones. They with a younger guy that's going to be under contract for longer in Josh Dobbs. Um, so he's the number two right now with Rudolph as the number three. So it's tied down because, you know, the focus is now on the regular season and Ben. And if Ben were to get seriously hurt, season's over, regardless of who you're you're playing. Uh, but, you know, it, in a couple of years time, we could be talking about Mason Rudolph and how he's going to replace Ben Roethlisberger.
0: Do, do you have a without Ben Roethlisberger statistic for us? What's their record been like since, you know, he joined the team? <laughs>
5: I'm not sure. That's a good question. Um, they're probably around 500 because they've just had enough talent around, you know, uh, to get through a game or two that Ben's missed. The um, yeah, Landry Jones, I think, went three and two as a starter. Um, they they had the Mike Vick era, which is an era I would prefer to forget. Uh-huh. Um, Charlie Batch. Uh, Charlie Batch. Yeah, I mean, they've they, they've always hung in games and they've always kind of weathered the storm. So if Ben were to miss a game or two, I mean, you can deal with it. But uh, obviously, like like most teams, you know, if you lose Ben for half the season, then you're going to be out of it.
4: It feels like the backup quarterback always beats the Ravens.
5: So. Well, let me, what's going on with your backup quarterback? I, Lamar Jackson using him as a receiver, some Wildcats stuff. What can we expect from Lamar Jackson?
0: Well, that, we, we can talk about that a little bit. I mean, yeah. this is really a show for Ravens fans, so they, they know what Lamar's been doing. But 13 snaps in, in three games for Lamar, uh, always on the field with Flacco, never by himself. Okay. Uh, I you know a, a point has been made on national TV that – Uh, this was in the Thursday night game that Flacco appears to be a little bit upset about the whole insertion of Lamar and flipping him the ball and all this it's always on first and 10 second and 10 sorry first and 10 or second down and and that gives a that means Flacco has to kind of clean up the mess for Jackson after those plays don't work out so (laughs) it was it was uh, 11 they had a holding call in there so it was 10 plays for 34 yards for the first two games plus that hold and then uh, I don't. I don't. I haven't added in the last two plays from the last game, but it was an inc- one incomplete, which is the first time he's been used as a receiver. And I don't know. I don't recall what the other play was, but nothing spectacular. They haven't broken a play with him in the game. Okay.
4: Gotcha. And it's too hard to figure out really what the Ravens are doing because for the first game he played half the game as quarterback. Yeah. So, but but that is something we're wondering each week as we do this. Is is Lamar something that the other fan base, the other team, is worried about? even though he hasn't made an impact
5: yeah i mean it's something they have to game plan for i guess and so at least at the very least you're making the defense work a little bit harder to, to deal with those sub packages so i guess there's some benefit there all
0: right i think that is the benefit yep. this yeah. mentioned so far that i'll <laughs>
5: actually buy into right it's, okay. it's a
4: five minute conversation <laughs> <laughs> it's a distraction um ryan shazier was on the sideline with the team last night how much emotionally has that been a charge for this team this year
5: I mean, I'm not in that locker room, but I got to think it's a huge charge. Um, you know, I, I know it's very much a question if he's if if he's ever going to play again. I know the odds are probably stacked against him, but the progress that he's made, I mean, it's not even been a year since his injury where he was, you know, paralyzed. Uh, the way that he's able to walk now unassisted, um, and, and I think the motivational boost that he's given. Um, ben talked about it a couple weeks ago that, you know, it's now— not Chazier as being the injured player, but just Brian Chazier, just one of the guys you can joke with him. It's like, you know, like it was before the injury. Um, and he's gotten involved in the scouting and the coaching aspect of it um, as well. So I think it's been a big emotional boot, a boost to this team. It's been great to see him out there. Um, his progress has been nothing short of remarkable. I mean, you know, you saw him with a draft coming out and, and walking with the cane. And then a couple months later in training camp, he walked, you know, without the assistance of a cane for the first time in public. So in the, in the span of a couple months, he went from, you know, Walking slowly across the stage, and then walking by himself and doing laps around the track. A couple months later, at training camp. So the progress has been really good, and you know it looks like he's going to have a a good recovery, considering where he once was.
4: Good, that's great. Um, all right, let's get to the mailbag. This is the fifth straight primetime game for the Ravens, the Steelers at Heinz Field. Uh, and the spread opened up as the Steelers with a three-point favorite, which I feel like three points is every Steeler Ravens game, and they just give it to the home field. <laughs> um, all right, first question here is from Dade, who asks, "How can the Ravens contain or slow down the Steelers' offensive weapons, sp- sp- particularly the Steelers' wide receivers?"
5: I think being able to press these guys at the line, um, you know, force, and this is an obvious answer, but force, you know, someone other than Antonio Brown to try to beat you. Now, again, they've shown Juju been able to to be that, you know, really strong number two and, and bordering on a number one along with A.B., Um, But, you know, right now, force him to go vertical because Ben's deep ball has not been good enough. And and while it's normally been strong in the past, he's not been able to connect. His accuracy and the timing just seems off. He had an elbow injury, I think, back in week one. Is that playing a factor? I'm not sure, but it just doesn't look quite right. So, um, you know, force him to show that vertical threat. Uh, this this offense functions at its best when they can go vertical, whether that was Martavis Bryant or Sammy Coates for a short time, and that's when they need James Washington to step up and be that vertical threat that's going to help expand the defense vertically, and that's going to help open up the underneath game and get some coverage off of Antonio Brown. So right now I'm daring this team to go deep because they've had some trouble being able to connect downfield.
0: All right. And, uh, can they
5: stop can yeah. they stop Connor with
0: uh, the nickel defense on the field, in your opinion?
5: Um, it, I think with the defensive line that you guys have, I think a lot of teams would have trouble doing it out of nickel. But when you have a strong D line that that you guys seem to have, and 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 enough rotational pieces with what Brent Urban and and Pearson, uh, Williams, I think it, it's a better chance than most teams. Um, but I will say the other thing is that you know Connor's done a great job out of the backfield. So even if you slow down that Steelers run game, Connor's runs his routes really hard. He's quick to the talk. He's able to get upfield. He's on pace for eighty catches this year, which is a very he's having a very livy on Bell type season at a a fraction of the price. So, um, you know, when the Steelers go vertical, they help open up the underneath routes, and it's going to get guys like Connor one-on-one with the linebackers. So, you know, the Steelers put up 30 points in the first half against Tampa Bay. They ran the ball for nine times, nine times for 27 yards. So this team's still able to function through the passing game um, without a running game and still able to put up points.
4: All right. Now, Ken, Jalen gets in with the same same question, but his big concern is with Jimmy Smith out and possibly Mosley out. Do you think the Ravens can match up with the Steelers to, to slow them down?
0: No, they, they they have real problems. I mean, first of all, I don't know if Pierce is going to play. And he he sat out last week, did not practice any of the three days. Is some sort of foot injury. As soon as I hear that, you know, for a defensive lineman, that's a very bad thing. And the first two things to come to mind are turf toe or a Liz Frank injury. Hopefully it's neither of those. But if it was something of that ilk, then, you know, he, he probably will miss significant time. So, if he's out, obviously that's a big that's a big threat because the Ravens end up being very light if they do not have Michael Pierce. Brandon Williams has to move to the nose from really a three-tech position that he plays about half the time now, and all the other positions are are playing just a little light on that defensive line. So I, I don't like that in terms of on the at corner. The Ravens had tremendous depth at corner, as we know, coming into this year. But that's really a lot of that has evaporated with injury. Uh, you know, Stanley Jean Baptiste at the end of at the end of camp, they had the injury to uh, Averett that uh, hamstring pull that he hasn't been put on IR yet, but he might be. Kennedy is already on IR. They're saying he may come back with it with his hamstring injury. So that's pretty two significant, two fairly significant outside corners, and another one who was a good depth outside corner they've lost, and Brandon Carr has not been up to the task this last week. They picked on him mercilessly, um, Case Keenum did, and, and I'm afraid that that may happen again.
4: All right. Um, to uh, move on, Josiah wants to know, what happened and how did the Steelers' defense become so bad?
5: <laughs> I'd love to know the answer as well. I think, you know, they're facing the consequences of their failed first round picks or the ones that haven't been as strong as they should be. Jarvis Jones was an objective bust. Artie uh, Burns has struggled, you know, getting demoted last week, but Dupree hasn't been what they wanted him to be. So, one, I think they've. Just struggle to find the edge rushers, and any, you know, good part of a three-four defense is finding competent edge rushers so they can rush with four and drop seven into coverage, and that's how you kind of overall win as a defense. So they've struggled there. And this team's always had problems evaluating talent in the secondary. They've always kind of had, you know, a lot of mid-round selections, so you understand that the hit the hit rate's lower than the first round, but they've never been a great Evaluation uh, in the last decade of, of defensive backs and you know Artie Burns has struggled um, Sean Davis I think they've Sean Davis hasn't played poorly but I think they've hurt him by moving him around so much he came in um out of maryland as a strong safety they immediately move him to slot corner then back to strong safety now he's playing free safety this year so just a lot of moving pieces for a guy that's in his third year but uh just just a drafting thing we know the Steelers are not big players in free agency uh they have to hit on draft picks then and they just haven't had that success that they enjoyed you know in the early to mid 2000s Golson is another guy who is gone already he being his fourth year now am i correct or a third uh, third or fourth, he got hurt so much. The guy, the guy had seven practices in his career, uh, so that's how wow. bad it was with him. He made it through, I think, three days of training camp was as long as he ever made it through. So I, I barely even know what year he was. But yeah, he's he was cut last year.
4: All right, all right, Ken. One question for you, uh, Mr. Ed sent you some pictures and wants to know your thoughts on Matt Judon playing mid zone coverage.
0: <laughs> I'll I'll have to address that separately when All right, I actually that'll take a little bit more pictures. time. I did see I did shoot, see your tweets, Mr. Ed, and I do appreciate your stuff, Mr. Ed. An oddball character, I can tell you that, but he, he does some very interesting things uh, with with football data. And and one of the projects he did on our show, uh, I'll just tell you about Alex, was trying to map the Ravens' offense to plays that exist in Madden. <laughs> <And> it, <laughs> it was very wow. interesting, very well done. So, uh, All cool right. guy.
4: All right, and uh, final question is uh, from uh, at Josh Soroka, who wants to know, do we need to worry about Mike Tomlin tripping anyone this weekend?
5: <laughs> 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 Don't go near the sideline, that's what I'd say. All
4: right. all right, Alex, well, thank you for joining us. Again, it is Alex underscore Kozura on Twitter, and we'll make sure to tweet out your uh, handle and all that along with the podcast. You are from Steelers Depot. Everyone can go over and check that out as well do you have a do you have a podcast up there or, or something as well that people yes you g- listen to to prepare for uh for this matchup
5: yep uh Steelers uh the terrible podcast is the the site it's not my personal podcast but i jump on there uh when i need to well we assume uh, by they're...
4: Steelers in the title it means terrible we got that part <laughs> down
5: Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, yeah, terrible podcast. Uh, we always bring on a beat writer throughout the week. I'm not sure who we have lined up for Baltimore this week, uh, but I think for either today's show uh, or for Wednesday's show or for Friday's show, there's a beat writer that comes on. So um, that gives some extra insight from a Baltimore perspective.
4: All right, awesome. And, Ken, you want to plug uh, Russell Street Report?
0: Sure. Writings on Russell Street Report. I'm sure most of you guys know it by now if you're listening to a podcast like this. you got a defensive article every week, an offensive line scoring article, which will come out tomorrow. A really big game for the Ravens offensive line against Denver that was fun to score, finally, after a couple that were not as fun to score. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, it's at film study Ravens and we're promoting birdland sports as well. And that's where the podcasts are going when you, when you want to get
4: them. Yeah. So follow birdland sports on Twitter and that's got our podcast and a bunch of other Ravens and Orioles focused podcasts. Uh, I think it's up to like four or five a week. They come out on that site now. So definitely check that out. We're up there, uh, as well. So, all right guys. Well, uh, Thanks for joining us again, Alex, Ken. A big match coming up this weekend. I think hopefully we get to learn a lot about both these teams. So have a good week preparing.